According to Cato's plan, I'm the enemy. Because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy that likes to sit in a greasy spoon and wonder, gee, should I have the T-bone steak or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with the side order of gravy fries? I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke Cuban cigar the size of Cincinnati in a non-smoking section. I want to run through the streets naked with green jello all over my body reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because I suddenly might feel the need to, okay, pal? I've seen this, but you know what it is? It's a 47-year-old virgin sitting around in his beige pajamas drinking a banana broccoli shake singing, I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show, and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, welcome back. You're right in the midst of the top 60 albums of 1993 here, part of our big, super spectacular retrospective dealing with with the entirety of the year, 1993, musically at least. And we're into the top 40 now here. And what better way to kick off a show than with this band and with this song I'm about to lay on you. This album that was produced by the now late super producer, Bruce Fairburn. And we have the Scorpions. Yes, Scorpions here with their 12th album called Face the Heat. And for me as a fan, there's a lot to like about this record. I like about 80% of it really well. There's definitely some instances of filler in here that I can't super justify as a fan. But when it's on, it's on, as I like to say. This album does represent basically the end of an era for the band. Uh, after this album, Herman Rarebell will be gone. Herman a German will have moved on. And at this point, Francis Buchholz, if I'm even saying that right, I don't know if I've ever been able to say that properly, but let's go with it. Francis Buchholz has been replaced by this album with Ralph Rickerman, who is not their current bass player. I don't know how long he lasted in the band. I think a few records at least. But yes, this album right here, Face the Heat in 1993. I like it all right. I'm a Bias Scorpions fan, and it comes in here at number 40. What else can I really say, right? But we're going to kick off the show in fine fashion right here with the kickoff track from Face the Heat. And there's no better way to do it than with Alien Nation. Turn it up.
Kicking off the show in monster epic fashion right there. Alien Nation by the Scorpions from Face the Heat. With an opener like that, that album probably should have been one of their best albums ever. But it's not. But it's still pretty damn cool, if I say so. Now, coming in at number 39 is this Bow Hill produced album. Now, when I say something like that to kick off a description of a record, you probably have a certain expectation of at least, oh, this is the guy that produced all the popular Rat albums. And of course, you know him most famously from Bo Nasty. No, 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 you don't. But maybe from Winger and some of those other kind of bands from the 80s. But in 1993, super producer Bo Hill was working on the fifth full-length album by the great Bad Brains. Yes, this happened. And I will say... The fact that you got Bo Hill on the board and not somebody, for lack of a better term, not as hip and cool as a Rico Kasich or somebody. And I like both those guys a lot, pretty much equally. So with that going on and the fact that HR isn't the singer for the band anymore at this point, you got Israel Joseph coming in to do lead vocals. This album should have been a disaster for them, but it's not. Rise by Bad Brains is a damn good record. And coming in here at number 39 is nothing to sneeze at, especially it's hard to get through the velvet rope here on the Rock Strikes 10 Countdown. Bad Brains still bring in all the possible essential ingredients uh, to put in that sauce that makes them such an interesting, true original and true alternative at the same time kind of band. Reason why fans of this band are rabid about them. But yeah, Rise, I'm totally cool with. There you go. That could be a controversial opinion. I don't know. I'm not really in the massive bubble there, but I'll defend it. Why not? So, further proof that my opinion is probably correct about this record. Here is a very cool standout track here from Rise. This is Bad Brains with Unidentified. Oh 
Okay, Bad Brains right there with Unidentified from their 93 offering Rise. Comes in at number 39 here on our countdown. And I mentioned the fact that Bo Hill produced that album, the guy who's mostly known for producing rat albums. And I swear I didn't set it up this way. But coming in at number 38 is the first post-rat release and new band with Stephen Piercy on lead vocals. Band's called Arcade. Swear I didn't set this up. It just fell that way. So I remember when this album came out, and I remember reading about it coming out in Metal Edge quite a bit. And I didn't realize it at the time, but as we all know now, this would be the actual first time that we finally get to hear Fred Curry of Cinderella play drums on a studio album. Yes. Sad but true, and everything I've heard about Fred Curry seems to check out that he is one of the nicest guys in the history of the biz. Unfortunately, it does not appear that he ever played any of the drums in the studio on any of the Cinderella albums. But he does on this record, at least according to the credits, on this album by the band Arcade. I I would have sworn to you this album came out like in 92 or something like that, but no, it's got it coming in here at 93 Produced by a guy named David Prater, who I I don't know, but I just wanted to throw that out there. And much like Steven and all of the Rat catalog, and I was a fan as a kid, I feel like I'm an even bigger fan now. And I've really come to appreciate the fact just how unique Steven's voice is. Much like a Vince Neil or a Kevin DeBro or some other people that don't really get thrown in the better singers categories of all time. But I think it's just as cool to have an irreplaceable voice. And clearly all those guys are apparently irreplaceable. So they have unique original voices. I think Stephen Piercy's singing voice is is very appealing, actually. So, yeah, I slightly ignored this album when it came out. I remember picking it up a handful of years ago. And for some reason, just going back to it here, reviewing it for possible inclusion here on the 93 Countdown, I like this album a whole lot now. I think it's an underappreciated release by a guy who most people will only listen to stuff if it's under the name Rat. I'll also say I've heard some of Steven's solo albums, and they've got some killer material on there. So don't sleep on Steven as an overall artist. I gotta say it. I'm saying it right here. And this Arcade album is cool, man. Talked about Fred Curry. And I don't know any of the other guys in this band, but I'll go ahead and give them some credit here. On bass, Michael Andrews. And on the two guitar attack, Donnie Syracuse and Frankie Wilsex. So there you have it. Everybody sounds good on this record. I was tempted to go with one of the cool heavy rockers on here, but I'm going to go with this song right here. Sans Detonator by Rat. You never really heard Steven sing a lot of ballads. I mean, they definitely weren't known for their ballads. And not that they didn't have them. But I feel like with some of the song doctors like Desmond Child and Diane Warren coming in on Detonator. And I like Detonator, but definitely there were a few extra ballads on there. But Steven actually does well with the ballads. And there's one here on the Arcade album that really stuck out for me on this listen. So I'm going to go ahead and play it here to represent the self-titled Arcade record. So without further objection, this is Cry No More.
Number 38 right there, Arcade, and their self-titled debut album, Cry No More. I like that song. It's just a, a catchy ballad for me, so I dig it. It's something a little different that you may not be used to hearing with Stephen Piercy's voice attached to it. So if that happened to pique your interest, go check out Arcade. There's a bunch of cool heavy rockers on there. Like I said, you get to hear freaking Fred Curry play drums finally in a studio, and that's a good thing. Okay. I don't mean to... I'm not picking on Fred, by the way. I think Fred's awesome. Coming in at number 37. This band right here, who I am definitely guilty of probably at least missing out on their sophomore album when it came time to doing submissions for the countdown, unless I'm going senile, and I did feature them on the 1990 list. I'll have to go back and check. Dude, I have lived a couple of lives since that countdown, so worth revisiting. I need to get an intern or something, somebody that'll crunch some data for me so I can be like, hey, from the previous year, they came in at this number. So, oh, that would be excellent. I should be that guy, but I have no freaking time. I don't know where it goes. But back to 37. This band right here from New York City. The Circus of Power. So if you don't know this band and you like good down and dirty hard rock bands, I'm talking like ACDC type, that, that's your template for sure. ACDC, Guns N' Roses. Also, hey, if you're a fan of Alice in Chains and maybe The Cult, then you're really going to like this band, Circus of Power, especially on their 1993 record called Magic and Madness. It's their third album produced by Tom Panunzio who is definitely an East Coaster, no doubt about that. And I kid. So I hear, Nunzio, yeah. No, but this guy's got great credits as far as like some of the upper echelon of East Coast hipsters, Springsteen, Patti Smith, like those kind of people, heavy hitters. Over at the Hit Factory in New York is where he was mainly operating at. And I think he was an A&R man. I kind of briefly looked over his bio. But in 93, he helped produce the Circus of Power record, so I mentioned Allison Chains and the Cult. Jerry Cantrell and Ian Ansbury both make appearances on this record, so that'll probably get some ears on that record if you hear me talking about those guys. They got a decent fan base for sure. But on the surface and on its own, even if you don't know that, it's a it's a fun, basic hard rock album in a sense. And just weirdly enough, for a band that was kind of skewing that way. Not too glammy, but I'm sure falling out of favor with their label Sony at the time, who was probably very eager to get rid of them because they weren't from Seattle. And I'm not one of those guys that said Nirvana killed off the thing. I think labels always kill off a thing. So that all being said, cool little gem that you may not be aware of, this third Circus of Power record, Magic of Madness. So let's get a song of theirs in your ear right here. And this is not a cover, even though it's got a famous title to it much like Slip Away at the end of this album. But no, this is not a cover. This is an original of theirs, but it's also called Evil Woman.
cool stuff right there. And I swear the song just ends like that. It's, it's a weird ending. Unless you're listening to the whole album, it goes right into the next song. But yeah, those guys definitely Doors fans because it's got that kind of cool, sleeky, sexy jam going on that extends it out. So yeah, fun, cool record right there. That Their records definitely would be playing in, in the house party in Point Break for sure. So yeah, Circus of Power, Magic and Monsters, their third album. That was number 37 here on our top 60 albums of 1993. And coming in at number 36 is a band that always shows up on these countdowns. I've become a new listener to this band that's been around for a good 30 years plus now. Uh, a band that was name-checked in a really cool Denko Jones song. They're referenced in the first date song along with Joan Jett. But yes, yeah, Super Chunk. Cool band right here. I didn't think I'd ever be a fan of any band on Matador Records. Which some of my friends are cringing at me saying that. But do like me some Super Chunk, man. Good rock band. And if you hate me for that Matador jab, then tell me about a few other bands on Matador that sound like this. And I'll, I'll listen to them for sure. But yeah, Super Chunk, good band. They've got a pretty big catalog. Not too big. It's not Guided by Voices big. Whose is? But they got a handful of records. If you're looking for a band to dive in on, this would be a good one to do it. Especially if you're into the alternative punk garage band kind of thing. So in 93, they put out their third record here called On the Mouth. And yeah, I can't really wax heavily about this. Just a cool, fun record. The thing that caught my eye, though, in making some notes when I listened to this record for the first time top to bottom is I'll have to go back and see if this guy produced some of their other albums, but John Reese produced this album that guy is a badass the guitar player for rocket from the crypt and more importantly for me the guy from drive like yahoo and hot snake so yeah that guy rules great great freaking guitar player if you want to play some true cool loud original stuff then go look up that guy's stuff because that guy has got a tone and a sound that is very appealing to someone like me but yes back to super chunk here this album on the mouth, hopefully you'll like it like I did if you get a chance to check it out. And here's my current favorite song from it. This one's called New Low.
right, Super Chunk right there with New Low from On the Mouth, number 36 here on the countdown for 1993. And coming in at number 35, a band that I never listened to, I don't think, I may have heard like a song or two, and I feel like I heard them on a comp or a soundtrack or something. And if my memory's right, I think I heard them initially on the SFW soundtrack. That sounds right. I don't have it in front of me, but I do own it on CD. It's somewhere around here. But yes, while I figure that out, I'm going to tell you about this band called Cop Shoot Cop. And this is one of those, I think I must have been listening to this album just at the right time for me. And this is definitely not anything that I feel like most people would pick up on the reg. You do just have to be in a certain kind of mood. It's hard to describe this band in a sense, but it's it's metal adjacent, but it's definitely more on the experimental type. It's like if Tom Waits started a, a metal band or an industrial metal band, then this is what they would probably sound like. So there you have it. There's my review. That goes on the sticker of the reissue. Tom Waits goes metal because Tom takes metal in a literal sense. Like these guys, they hit metal things and they also make heavy sounds with the instruments that they use. And I say it that way because apparently, according to their bio, and I, you could tell by listening to the album, they don't have a six-string guitar player in their band. They play two bass guitars, and they play a lot of percussion, and they mess with synth stuff every now and then. But yes, that's Cop Shoot Cop. Very antagonistic kind of band. And yeah, man, if you're feeling aggro or whatever at night, or if you got to get a lot of cleaning done around the house, or... If you need to stay awake in the car on a late night drive, then put this one on. It'll make your mind go manic. But yes, the album is called Ask Questions Later. The band is Cop Shoot Cop. And here is the song that stuck out for me on the first top to bottom listen. And I've come to find out since then that I think this was kind of the song that the label might have been pushing. And I think there's a video for this out there somewhere. So i got to go look that up to see what it looks like. But here you go. Here's Cop Shoot Cop with $10 bill. Turn it up. Seven Eleven and have some. 
knocking, knocking on my door. Can't you see I got no money? I can't give no more. Landlord's banging, trying one more time. You can knock the damn door down, but you ain't gonna get a Yes, Cop Shoot Cop right there with $10 Bill from their third album, Ask Questions Later. Hope you enjoyed that. It's pretty cool how well the horns work into that. When I was listening initially and the horns showed up, I was like, oh, that makes total sense. Good, good choice, guys. But yeah, I dig it. I'm going to check out their other records, see how they're like. I know that according to their bio here, just looking at the wiki, they were supposed to get their fourth record put out by their then-current label Interscope, and apparently Interscope spent a lot of money on that fourth album, and they decided not to put it out. There's a record label for you. But it did eventually come out on a smaller label, I believe. But yeah, there you have it. A band that was wronged. Cop Shoot Cop. Uh, moving on here, number 34 here. I remember reading about this album a lot before it came out as well. And one thing that really stuck out to me, because it's one of those things where I was like, Man, uh, do I care about a solo album by this guy? I mean, I dig him, but I was like, what does he have to offer? I don't know. And I'm probably not alone in that because I don't know that it did all that well. And it's one of those, I remember getting it on CD, probably in a used rack somewhere, and I didn't really listen to it a whole lot. But I feel like 30 years later, time has been pretty kind to the first solo album here by Duff McKagan. And I guess I'm a different kind of fan now at this point. I really like Duff McKagan as a person, and I listen to his radio show on Sirius pretty much every week. It's a great show. He's got great taste. So being a bigger fan of the man himself was like me going back into this record with a pure open mind. And he'll probably even tell you this, like he was probably bombed out of his mind when he did this. But I do remember reading something of his in an interview somewhere around the time that this album came out. He basically worked on this album while he was on tour with Guns N' Roses all through the Illusion tour, which was a long freaking tour. Like at least two years, I believe, right? And I think the majority of this was recorded during the stadium tour summer that they did with Metallica. And he would just find studios, and after the show, he'd be all wired and stuff, and he'd go in the studio and cut some demos, do basic tracks of the record, and that's basically how he knocked it out, was doing it on tour. That's what I understand about it, reading about it in advance of the release. And the other thing he mentioned was uh, talking about how much he loved Prince. And I, I can relate to that for sure. I'm a big fan as well. And he was saying, if I'm going to do a solo album, I want it to be a lot like a Prince album in which I play all the instruments on all the basic tracks. And I like that because that is a true solo album. If you can play at least every instrument on the record in a sense. Now, 
Duff did bring along some friends and guest stars to appear on the record eventually, but yes, he did play on all the basic tracks as well. But bringing in a couple of ringers on lead guitar here and there, not a bad idea. If you if you got them, use them. It probably helped get a few extra ears on it. I mean, you got Jeff Beck and Slash playing some guest leads on there. Some of the other Guns guys, Gilby Clark, Matt Sorum's on here. Teddy Zigzag's on a lot of the tracks. Uh, even like Westar Keen, who I know is a GNR associate, he's on here. Lenny Kravitz, who I'm sure he met through Slash. And even kind of a mini Skid Row song there. Bass and Snake show up on a track. So that's cool. And listening to this album, I actually remembered thinking, oh yeah, there's some songs that aren't on the record. And so I looked him up on YouTube and found him. He did two cover songs that he was going to put on there, but they got cut off the record. And I think they got used as international bonus tracks in the end. One's a cover of David Bowie's Cracked Actor, which I love that song. And uh, his version's okay. It's, it's nothing noteworthy. But to me, being noteworthy, speaking of Prince, he actually covered Prince's Bambi on here. And you can't beat the original, but definitely an A for effort. So that's a more interesting cover for me. So go look those up if you're interested. And if you never heard Believe in Me by Duff McKagan, then you should check it out. It's a cool rock album from 1993. And I'm not even going to have you pre-guess right here. I, I would just be like, you could easily figure out that Slash is playing lead guitar on this song. So let's have Slash in here on the Duff record, uh, because this is definitely one of the better songs on the album. So here you go. Here is officially just Duff, as the album says, with the song Just Not There. I turned around, I walked away 
Coming in at number 34 in our top 60 albums of 1993 countdown, that was Duff, or more famously known as Duff McKagan right there, channeling his best Stiff Baders and Johnny Thunders type material. And I don't use those names lightly because people that try to do that usually fail miserably and they come off as posers. Duff, anything but a poser. Guy actually played in punk bands back in the day before Guns N' Roses, and he's the real deal. He's lived it. So, yeah, could have easily been one of those guys' songs. And, of course, at that same time, he covered Johnny Thunder's You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory. So, from his sessions is the the version that's on Spaghetti Incident, because he's mainly playing all the stuff on it. But there you have it. Duff with Just Not There. Great track right there. Hope you enjoyed that. We move on to 33, and this band right here, I usually put in company with a about two or three other bands one you'll actually hear later on on this countdown as well with this is the heaviest that i get (laughs) this is the heaviest music that i play i don't really go much past this because anything going past this stylistically you tend to get into the more cookie monster type growls on your metal records and i don't dig that i need to be able at least understand the lyrics most of the time that's me but This band right here put forward a really excellent quality, heavy, heavy metal record in 1993. Talking about really killer band from Sweden called Entombed. And I'll tell you what makes them a little extra unique after the track. I'm just going to judge this band on the surface. So if you don't remember anything about their history, I've mentioned on the show before. If you don't know anything about them, I'm just going to play this kind of heavy going cold, like a horror movie you've never seen. But but yeah, their third album right here called Wolverine Blues. And it was produced by a guy named Tomas Skogsberg. This is a name for you. I like that name. But yes, let's go ahead and just play the kickoff track from the album, the opener. And it starts off with this and it pretty much never loses any kind of ground. It's a super quality heavy metal record. So if you can handle it, this is Entombed with iMaster. Here you go.
right. There's some heavy as hell shit for you right there. I Master from Entombed from their album Wolverine Blues. Hope you enjoyed that. And by the way, I teased a little bit of an interesting history of theirs. So the drummer from that band, the guy that you heard clicking the sticks off once the song kicked in, it's a guy named Nick Anderson, who, after Entombed, would go on to form one of the great rock and roll bands of all time, the Helicopters. Then after the Helicopters broke up in the mid-2000s, he started the great Imperial State Electric, now currently back in the Helicopters. But yes, Nick Anderson started off as a professional musician, as a drummer. So there you have it. And what a drummer he is. That guy is a mega talent. So if you didn't know that before, you do now. One of Sweden's finest right there. The great Nick Anderson. So yes, we're going to stick with the metal here because at number 32 is a new band. Although you will be very familiar with the singer because this is just a new band project from Rob Halford in 1993. It came out. It's called Fight. Did I say that like Street Fighter? Fight! But yes, Fight is a two and through band, which means they have two records out and they disbanded. And the interesting thing about the two Fight records for me, of course, just on the surface, it's pretty easy to catch the Pantera influence that War of Words has, this debut record here that comes in at number 32, which makes total sense because... I know that Pantera opened up a lot of shows for Priest on the Painkiller Tour. And by the way, go look up the roster of bands that opened up that Painkiller Tour. Just some of the best metal bands of all time. That was a tour, no matter what city you saw it in, you saw one of the great metal shows ever. But yes, back to Fight. Pantera toured with Priest. That's how Rob really, far as I know, got into him. And then once that tour was over... Halford did a solo song for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film soundtrack. He did the song Light Comes Out of Black, which I played on the show before. Great, cool one-off track with Halford singing with Pantera backing him up. And I guess he loved the song enough like we all did. He's like, I'm going to go start a band that sounds like Pantera. And I'm assuming that's kind of the idea up front. And I'm sure anytime somebody showed up for the audition, the words Pantera came out of Rob Halford's mouth for sure. It's a theory, but I'm pretty sure you could bank on that. And I didn't really know this, but over the last few years, I read up on what Rob did with Fight and stuff like that through some interviews and books and stuff like that. When he started the band, apparently he was still officially in Judas Priest. And at some point he wasn't in Judas Priest anymore. So this was supposed to be a side band while Priest was off tour. And then it became his full-time band for a few years at least. Uh, but there you go. I didn't know that. The other fun fact, of course, and I've known this since the word go, I was one of those kids, I pretty much would try to memorize all the names of the band members at this time. So I even knew what the roster for Fight was. And the guitar player in the band, Russ Parrish, did leave the band at some point while they were touring for this album. But he now portrays Satchel, the lead guitar player for Steel Panther you didn't know that Uh, but yes being what was i 14 years old in 1993 something like that 13 14 years old being really into heavy metal and being really heavily into like pantera and megadeth and priest and all that stuff i really responded to this fight record war of words massively i probably liked it a lot better when it was out 
but I did recently buy it on vinyl and I've spun it a few times since I got it a few years ago. So I still like the record pretty well, but it might be a little bit of a product of its time, but it's still quality metal. So I, I'm yo-yoing, I'm flip-flopping, I'm going back and forth, but there you have it. If you haven't heard it and you're a metal fan, you should definitely check it out for sure. Halford, just one of the absolute, not only greatest singers of all time in any genre, but one of the greatest human beings walking this planet need to preserve rob halford for all time so yes let's get into it from the album war of words here is fight and that opening track that blew all of our minds when we first heard it into the pit
Okay, yes. Let's go. That was Into the Pit by Fight from War of Words. And hey, by the way, if you've never heard the second fight record, it's very interesting in a sense. And I'm sure it will probably appear on what would be the 95, I guess, countdown. Probably, if I had to guess. So it is kind of weird that Alfred would almost completely ditch all of the Pantera influence for the second fight record. And I guess as he's living in Phoenix, Arizona for all those years in the 90s, all of a sudden, a lot of bands start popping up in that area. And they have a bit more of a psychedelic feel to them. The stoner rock bands or desert rock bands, if you will. And that second fight album is definitely very much influenced by Caius. No doubt about it. But yes, it's all good, though. So I hope you enjoyed that. And this last one right here for the night, number 31 here in our countdown. And the third Columbia release in a row. I do jot down the, the labels. And that's kind of interesting. Columbia, Sony, what have you. They, they were running things for decades, so it, there's no shock here. But another band, much like Fight, that was started as a side project and became a little bit bigger than it was probably originally intended to be is this Suicidal Tendencies offshoot called Infectious Grooves. Now, of course, I talked about Infectious on the top albums of 91 list for sure. I'm pretty sure it came in at the top 10. That would be no surprise to me. So with this second album right here, as you can see, it comes in at number 31. So by the comparison to the first one, definitely a bit of a sophomore slump. And to be honest, I almost, and you could make an argument for this, I almost put it in the odds and ends because I didn't do the exact percentage number here, but it seems like about maybe 60% of this album is new material. It's a couple of covers on here, which it's fine. You can definitely put a couple of covers on your record, and I'll still grade it like it's a real studio album. But there's also a couple of demos from the first album on here and a couple of live tracks from the initial first tour. So it's a bit of a mishmash album, but the majority of the album is new material. And yeah, I'm a biased fan, so I did put it under consideration for this year and the albums list. So there you have it, but I feel like it didn't really cause anybody to fall out of the top 10 in a sense. So yeah, it's over here at 31. Still an enjoyable record. If you enjoyed the first album, you'll have enough fun with this one for sure. And of course, Sarsipius is a little bit all over it. It's almost kind of like a sequel or a sitcom or something where the first time around this breakout character gets a lot of buzz and people seem to like it a lot. So the second time around, you want to use them more when you probably should just use them the same amount as you did the first time because you should always leave the people wanting more and not really urkel the situation, as I like to call it. But I'm not saying Sarsipius is an urkel. He's definitely much better than that. He is all about the ladies and the ladies are all about him. But that all being said, Sarsipius now, as of this second album, is an official member of the band. So much so he gets a little track there at the end, his solo track with Infectious called Sprick which I'm not going to play to represent the album, although it's a very fun track for sure. The other thing of note, this album was produced by Mark Dodson, who did the first album, which that guy produces some of my favorite albums, apparently, of all time. Great producer. He worked on some suicidal records and produced some records for Anthrax and stuff. He's just got a great ear. So yeah, Mark Dodson's great. And I talked about this record, actually, and I played something from it, uh, I think, earlier this year, if I had to guess it was earlier this year. Because this is the first, as far as I could tell, the first major album 
that a young kid at the time here in 93, a kid by the name of Josh Freeze, was playing on. So between this record right here and Suicidal's Art of Rebellion record, these were like the first major albums that Josh Freeze played on. So you come a long way, dude. Very proud of you. Like I know the guy. But yes, I take ownership on him. Obviously, it would be a better record with it being mostly original material and no recycled stuff. I have no problem with the covers. The covers are super fun. They do a cover of Immigrant Song and Fame. And they're super fun. They make them their own. Truly great covers for sure. Some of my favorites. But yeah, let's get into the record right here. And I almost got real cute with the record. Oh, let's play a deep track. Like that that's where my mind tends to want to go and not play what was an official single. But yeah, out there, do you know what the launch single was for this album? No, a lot of people don't know. That's fine. I was like, man, I'm just going to play the damn single because it's a really catchy, funky-ass song. So let's play that to represent Sarsipius's arc. So here is the great infectious grooves with These Freaks Are Here to Party. Turn it up.
closing off the show here tonight and coming in at number 31 here on our top 60 albums of 1993 countdown that was infectious grooves from their second album sarcipius's arc that was these freaks are here to pate but the party's over for today because that's the end of the show we'll be back tomorrow breaking into the top 30 now we're halfway through the countdown it's just going like that isn't it yes okay and of course got some amazing killer badass records lined up for you to enjoy here as we get into the second half of the countdown so come along with me won't you tell a friend all that good stuff but until then stay tuned for my better half nola with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business take it away nola we would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today you can reach us on facebook or twitter we love getting messages and always do our best to respond Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard, and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.